Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by one awesome co-host this week, my brother and bro-host, Shane Kelly. How are you doing, Shane? I am great. Just the two of us. Yeah, that's uh, it's a sh- sort of a mini episode this week since we are down two co-hosts. But uh, we just uh, Shane and I played a game that we wanted to talk a little bit about. It's not exactly a new game. Mm-hmm. It came out uh, earlier in the summer, um, but it was a listener suggestion, and uh, we finally got around both of us to to playing enough of it to talk about it briefly. And so uh, here we are. We're talking this week about Nex Machina, a dual stick shooter by the developer Housemark. Yeah, this is a game that, you know, kind of has a, a great uh, pedigree and it falls into a genre that we are, you know, big fans of, the dual stick shooter. Um, Next Machina, it's a uh, arcade, very much arcade style twin stick shooter uh, that has similarities to kind of seminal titles in that genre, if you can call it a genre, like Robotron and Smash TV. And it's got a... Uh, a really interesting visual style as well that I think uh, I I definitely enjoyed, even though things were moving at such a pace that I could barely tell what was going on in some cases. Yeah, I'll be honest. This is a game that like did not stand out to me based on its artwork or its uh, marketing. Like th- there's sort of an animated intro that's part of the trailer for it that I kind of just looked at once and thought, eh, but the game turned out to be really, really good. And I think... I think it's just that I, I didn't really know about its pedigree beforehand, which uh, is partly what actually got me over the hump of, of you know, giving this game a try. Um, you know, we've covered some dual stick shooters on this game on this show before. And the and one that I loved them, yeah. I know the one that we probably spent the most time talking about and continue to bring up endlessly is uh, Assault Android Cactus, uh, which is. Yeah amazing game uh if you missed that episode of the show or if you haven't played assault android cactus it's one of my favorite sort of action shooter games on you know current gen consoles it's a really really fun game and it's really got its roots in a kind of a very old school style that i think is most similar to like smash tv if you ever played that and uh that's sort of the connection to to next machina that had me so interested in it this is a game that the uh, the developers, Housemark, partnered up with or collaborated with Eugene Jarvis on this game. And um, so Housemark has their own pedigree. Housemark developed uh, Rezogun and Super Stardust and um, a couple of other uh, top-down shooters. They seem to be basically the, the twin-stick shooter developer. They're from Finland. Re- Rezogun uh, was a huge game on the PlayStation 4 when it launched, but I didn't have a PS4 when it came out, so I kind of missed the boat on that one. But I, I had definitely played Super Stardust. Yeah, Super Stardust is a uh, is a really enjoyable one. Um, every time Housemark has brought out another one of these dual stick shooter games, uh, they have basically taken the dual stick shooter and like applied it to a different dimension, uh, like. The the uh, Super Stardust takes the takes that same kind of concept and wraps it around a, a sphere. Uh, this game uh, really tends to kind of bend it around a cube, and it's got sort of this cubic three uh, D look to it that has this sort of voxel or volumetric uh, look. Uh, Resogun, I 
think had something special about it too, but I, again, like I've not played that one. So. It was a uh, it was very similar in a lot of ways to Defender um, because you're you know rescuing humans, kind of flying back and forth. There's a sort of a ground level below you with little people on it, and you're you're shooting things that are trying to attack them. Very very Defender like, but Defender wrapped around the surface of a, like a cylinder basically. So oh. um, it's sort of like 3D Defender, which really is another cool connection for this uh, because for this game, they partnered with Eugene Jarvis, who, if you're not familiar with him, is the creator of a ton of not. really important games, specifically uh, Robotron 2048, Smash TV, and Defender. He was the guy who created Defender, the uh, the original Defender arcade game by Midway. And I mean, all of those are just absolutely seminal arcade games. Defender was a huge smash hit when it came out in the early 80s. Um, it was one of the first games that had smooth, like, left to right, uh, like, shooter scrolling. Uh, so it took, you know, the the sort of uh, Space Invaders style game and kind of put it on this endless scrolling looping uh, format and added a bunch of stuff that at the time, you know, now it seems like like a no-brainer, but, you know, the idea that you could uh, go collect these little humans to save them, and they were very little, tiny, tiny pixel-based sprites, but they were, you know, very expressive for the time, and, uh, you know, shoot down the aliens that are picking up the Yeah, there's aliens. like every member of the family was, every member of the nuclear family was represented. Oh, that's in Robotron. I was talking about Defender, but Robotron too, like... Is, oh, of course. Yeah. Robotron Robotron came a little later than Defender, um, but Robotron was the very first dual stick shooter. And that's like a huge innovation. Uh, yeah, I kind of always thought that Smash TV was the original dual stick shooter, but I didn't really realize. Yeah, Robotron predates it by quite a bit. Let me look up the year for Robotron 2048. Smash um, TV was definitely early 90s in... Uh, both chronology and uh, aesthetic. Yeah, Robotron 2048 came out in 1982. And I mean, we're talking huh. very early. It, it looks very primitive by today's standards, but what is really amazing about it is just how many enemies it packs on screen at a time and the fact that you can shoot in eight directions. And that was totally revolutionary at the time. You know, Rather than just shooting in the direction that you're moving, you have two sticks on the arcade machine. There's no buttons. It's just two sticks. One of those sticks moves you around, and the other stick aims your gun. And, and whichever way you point that shooting stick, it will just shoot that direction. And that was a revolutionary idea. And it basically spawned the entire twin-stick shooter genre, which is still, like, really vital and interesting today. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's not you know, like your call of duty type of level of, of popular, but there are still tons of twin stick shooters, which can all draw their inspiration all the way back to Robotron, Robotron 2048 and smash TV, same kind of thing. Uh, it just took that same co gameplay concept and expanded it with a bunch of like very kind of humorous and kind of very 90s stuff you know it, rather than just being a, a guy shooting a bunch of robots on a series of rectangular boards uh you're now a, a competitor in a brutal uh game show and there's an actual announcer and you're shooting mutants and getting prizes and saving the girl at the end so in uh in robocop um the you remember the the guy that comes on TV <laughs> yeah ends, i'd buy that for a dollar well that's they, they reuse that in uh in robotron in smash tv smash tv thank you god i'm getting all these games confused well it's easy to do but they're they're 
they're really great games. Like the, Robotron 2048 is one arcade game that like I will never pass a machine without putting a quarter into it if it's in yeah. one, an arcade that I happen to visit. It's one of my favorite arcade games of all time. And Smash TV uh, is I, I don't actually see that machine. I don't like that one that much. Honestly, it's too hard. It's there's a lot going on. I think dual stick shooters, you have to strike a really careful balance. Um, I, I You have to you have to have a lot of room to maneuver in a dual stick shooter. And in in um, in Smash TV, like each stage is very small and contained. And you have this large on-screen sprite that, that represents you. So you're really not that free to move around. Yeah, Robotron is a little bit more um, open in that way because all the all the enemies, probably just for technical reasons, are so extremely tiny on screen. So it does feel yeah. like you have more room to kind of duck and weave in between them. Uh, it's pretty brutal too, but um, I, I do kind of prefer Robotron. But I will say that I, I played all the way through um, Smash TV recently. It's on a, a nice PlayStation 2 um uh, Midway has a couple of PS2 collections, and I picked those up. I have a kind of a collection of game collections on the PS2, and uh, the Midway collections are great. And Smash TV is a lot better when you don't have to worry about quarters. You know, when you have an unlimited supply of quarters, it becomes a really fun game. Yeah, I, I think any of these, if I had tried to play uh, Next Machina uh, with quarters, I would have sunk probably more than the $20 asking price. Oh yeah, no question. Uh, into the into the machine. Yeah. Uh, the the neat thing about this game is that uh, so I I love this genre of games, but some of the games work for me and some of them don't, you know. And I think there, this is a genre where because it's like constant frenetic uh, you know action, like the the nature of a dual stick shooter is that you're surrounded by enemies that are always moving towards you to attack and kill you um like you have to have a a a good balance of kind of how it plays for you to really enjoy it so i I think it for at least for me uh not all of them work but what's really neat about next machina is that there's so many different modes it plays really well solo um all the difficulty levels feel uniquely different um, and it plays co-op really, really well. Um, and it allows you to play the different worlds individually or in a sequence. There's a, um, uh, the, the main mode of the game really has you trying to make it through the entire game in a single, uh, in a single go. Uh, but the different difficulty levels, you always start from the beginning. You never have like, um, you know, a save point exactly, but you you can have a different number of continues and the hardest difficulty level you have like one continue or something like that. And then the heart, the uh, easiest, it's like ninety nine. Uh, but you know what? Even on the easiest difficulty level, you might find that you need a lot of those continues. So uh, letting letting me pick between the different modes was really smart because I, I get to play around and, and experiment and I was able to actually make it through the entire game, um, which I rarely do for this kind of game because they you know are, are a, a constant ramp of difficulty. So, so we talked a little bit about like the games that are inspired this, but we didn't really quite set up exactly what this game is, what it's all about, how it plays out. So um, mm. f- first off, uh, this sure. is an arcade shooter, which is a so really, what is the game we're playing? Yeah. Really <laughs> unusual thing to see. Like, uh, you don't actually see a lot of games coming out today that are 
you know, people things will things will say that they are arcadey or arcade style or arcade like this is an arcade game like this is a game that has no save points this is a game that plays as if you walked up to a uh, an arcade machine and it has a number of credits that you have and it so obviously it's a top down shooter we've been talking about Eugene Jarvis's contributions to the genre but you know of course also Housemark that is their bread and butter um, it is a top down dual stick shooter. Uh, Visually, it's uh, it's basically a bunch of like neon. I, I saw a, one review refer to the, the the style as like a bunch of disco death traps, which I thought was like wonderful. This is this is a beautiful neon disco full of death. To me, it's just extremely outrun in style. It's oh like yeah, very um, you know neon colors and everything, and the uh, the lighting is very like super saturated. Uh, all the enemies have sort of glowing red eyes that you know really make them stand out and it technically has a story uh but it doesn't really matter that much the story is essentially that you are you are you know humanity's last defender from some sort of robot uprising Uh, all of the humans in the game are literally just sort of pacing around oblivious to the robot uprising looking at their phones which I love that. It's a little on the nose, but it actually really, really works. Like, I, I immediately saw that as, like, a Robotron 2048 reference. Because Robotron, you are, you know, wandering around trying to save, I think it says, the last human family. Uh, and they are all these little, like, uh, you know, cute human sprites that just sort of wander around aimlessly, perfectly happy to bump into the giant robots. Well, that's basically what this is, too. Each level has a certain number of humans in it, and in addition to shooting all the robots, these brightly neon-colored robots, you have to try to uh, rescue all of the humans in the level as well, and sometimes there are just a couple, or sometimes there are quite a lot, and sometimes there are hidden humans, too, which we might talk about. I like that a lot. One of the things that makes this game is exploration. And this style of game usually doesn't have that much. You know, in fact, you know, in the most typical uh, versions of this kind of game, uh, you're trapped in a box uh, mm-hmm. surrounded by death. So exploration isn't necessarily a big part of it. But this game has tons of hidden secrets when there's parts of the of the environment that are destructible and bullets are flying. So sometimes you'll just find them. Um uh, and sometimes it's a secret human that you can save. Uh, other times, there are like special bonus levels that you can activate, or uh, special enemies that you can kill. And even some of those are classic shooter uh, references. There's like these it, once in every level, you can trigger this thing where basically space invaders uh, fly all over the screen and you have to shoot them. Oh, those things are great. What are those called? Like visitors? They reminded yeah, me of Galaga. Yeah. So. I mean, from the humans that you know you're saving that basically act as power-ups, which, by the way, there's like a whole multiplier system that's really uh, nice and finely tuned, to the secret enemies that are, you know, a lot of them references to uh, old arcade games. And some of the things that are secret levels, like you trigger by finding these arcade cabinet machines. So the whole thing is a love letter to arcade shooters. Um, and if you like arcade shooters... Uh, this game will 100% be for you. If not, like, for example, you know, my wife is not the hugest fan of Robotron 2084. Um, it still might be a good game for you because the co-op in this game is really, really solid and tight. And you can adjust the difficulty and, and play it 
uh, in whatever way is going to meet like your you find the right pace and, and feel for you and your partner. So it's a really, really good co-op game. I really wish I'd gotten to play some of the co-op on this. Unfortunately, the co-op is local only. And, you know, we see that a lot with indie games. Doing online co-op is just adds an enormous amount of of difficulty to the the process of creating the game. And particularly with really super fast-paced frenetic games like this, it's probably just not possible unless you have, like, practically unlimited budget. And even then, you know, you may not get the experience that you would hope for. But couch co-op for a game like this is phenomenal. I played a a good amount of of co-op for Assault Android Cactus, and that was my favorite way to play that game. I haven't played the co-op on this, but um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's, it stands up. Shane, is it two-player only, or how many players can jump in on co-op on this? You know, I, I don't know if you can go above two. I, I think it, I'm not certain it's two-player only, but it's uh, probably, is my best guess. Um, the, the, the way it plays out is pretty neat, too. Um, as a two-player team, you share a single pool of lives, and a single pool of continues. And what that kind of leads to uh, is if you use a continue, it's going to restart the whole level for you. So um, each world is divided up into lots and lots and lots of levels. But uh, if you if you die, you can use a, a life to come back. Um, but if you run out of lives, then it's all on that one person who's left, right? So... so for co-op, it creates these great moments of heroism because uh, one player might go down while you know facing a big enemy or a huge crowd of of, uh, of death robots, and uh, the other person could like save the day and actually make it to the next stage. Because if you make it to the next stage, well, you get some lives, and and it automatically brings your partner back, and uh, you know you're back in action. So it's a really fun. Uh, it's really fun to have those moments of, of like saving your friend in, in this way uh, and like progressing and, and making it through the game together. Uh, so I really I really had a lot of fun with that. Uh, Julia and I have played a lot of this game and uh, you know I, every time we play a dual stick shooter, I feel like I want to drag her up to the microphone and have her give her opinions on it. but uh, I don't think she'd like me very much if I did that. <laughs> Something you mentioned about that that I, I think is another thing that, really they really nailed with this game was just that sort of fluid like if the game this is a game where you're going to die a lot you know like a lot of arcade shooters or really arcade games generally it's kind of designed to try to kill you and you're going to be restarting these levels sometimes several times um but they make that they make that so smooth you know, I read some interviews with the developers about this, and you know they had all of these illus- these uh, illustrated animated cutscenes that they were going to use on this game, and they still have some of that in the game right at the start of the game, and also a little tiny cutscene at the end if you beat it. But there are no cutscenes in between levels uh, at all, and they took that out uh, even after making them because they wanted to have this sort of flow state, this sort of you know, seamless moving from level to level that doesn't break your concentration or your flow. Um, and that even applies to when you die, because like if you die in this game, it sure it just resets the level, but it does it in this incredibly seamless way. Like your your little guy, you know, explodes, but then he immediately reforms elsewhere on the map and the camera pans back over and you see all the enemies that you were you were fighting 
either just sort of like reset themselves to their original positions or dissolve or, you know, enemies you killed sort of pop back in. But it looks great. It's this very smooth, fluid thing. And it just it just is really, really well designed so that like from the second you hit start, you are killing things. Things are exploding and things never stop exploding for more than a second. Even if you die, you're back to shooting things in in a handful of seconds. A second is very generous. Right. It, and and it Constant. just it never breaks your flow. Even dying in this game doesn't break your flow. It just wants you to just feel that rush of shooting and killing things and you know you're you're constantly in it. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, that, that it's 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 really well designed in that way. It's got it's got this sort of progression mechanic that where you're, you know, building up energy, but you're also collecting these secondary weapons that you can use. And you can get into this moment where you've got the perfect secondary weapon, like oh, you know, there's a huge crowd of enemies, and I got the sword. Mm, and, the sword is uh, the sword is one of my favorite weapons, even yeah. though actually there's it's kind of hard to use because you have to be right up next to things that will kill you if you touch them. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It's a sword. It's fun. And there's all these, you know, as you as you get the power ups, it really really amps up your mobility because it, it increases the number of dashes that you mm. can do. Yeah. And makes it so that you can you have this like explosion when you dash that can uh, kill enemies or really just makes you a little safer when you're dashing. Uh, so the whole um, the whole the whole game, it's a it's a pu- push and pull, not between like stopping you when you die, but it's a push and pull between like cruising through and slamming through hordes of enemies or having to be a little bit more careful as you build up your your, your meter and stuff like that. And then all the while, you know, whatever mode you picked, that those continues are counting down. Like even in the most kind of reasonable, uh, normal mode, uh, you have. I was kind of doing mental math, and I was like, "Huh, this many? If it, if we're talking about twenty five cents a piece, <laughs> this is like twenty bucks worth of credits that I just ground through yeah. in uh, in like ten minutes." Uh, <laughs> but. Um, you know, so every but every difficulty was really fun. I played a lot on the super hard difficulty because I just like doing that on games where you can really learn the level. I would I would compare this huh. sort of to Sonic Mania in that way, where I, I really enjoy replaying the same level over and over again to learn the best patterns and 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 you know, f- you know have some really good runs on it. Uh, but. Uh, you know, we did. We did also eventually turn the difficulty all the way down, so we could slam through the entire game. Yeah, my my uh, my progression through it was very different. I started with the extreme, so it has a uh, a novice mode uh, that is even easier than its like normal mode, and that gives you unlimited continues and also reduces the number of enemies. And so my first time through. Um, I died a whole bunch on the first level, and I was like, okay, let me just try the novice mode. And so I just sort of steamrolled through the entire game on novice, which was great, because then I got to see the entire thing. You know, don't you love that feeling with an arcade game where, you you know, oh, it's on free play. I can see the entire game, no matter how bad I am. You know, you steamrolled through the entire thing. And then that made the, when I went back and started again on normal, um, I had a sense of, like, where I was in the game. And so I really liked, you know, I, okay, I saw the whole thing. I saw what I guess was the bad ending. And then starting over, I still haven't completed the game on normal. I'm not quite good enough for that yet. Um, anyway, I had a lot of fun playing through it on super easy. 
And so even if you kind of hate the grind of really difficult arcade action, like there's a lot here to kind of slide you into that without it being a big deal. There's There really is a mode for everybody in this game, and I'll, I'll just give you an example of some modes that I didn't even touch, right? Um, there's a uh, season-based uh, competitive mode where you have your place on a leaderboard in a in a ranking system uh there's a uh there's a challenge mode there's a mode where you can go and pick any of the individual worlds and try to see what your high score would be just on that world uh at any of the difficulty levels and of course there's the like main mode where you're playing through the game start to finish uh in one sitting like uh, and and that's kind of the main way that you experience the game is start at the beginning and go all the way through and uh, so, like, however you really want to play it, it really respects that. There's, uh, I think there's there's no wrong way to experience the game. Even if you just played that super easy mode, you know, hell, what you know, it's, you're gonna, it's not that, it's not like it's gonna be uh, just you hit X and you win. Uh, if this is your first experience with a dual stick shooter, I really couldn't recommend that enough. I kind of want to talk a little bit about my history personally with dual stick shooters a little bit. Sure. Um, so I didn't really like I, the way we started talking about them makes it sound kind of like, oh, I played them a lot in the arcades when I was a kid, which, you know, not really. Like when I was at the tilt, uh, my eyes were on uh, the, the games that gave me the most tickets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of the video games were not on that list, uh, but you know, I, I had to have that inflatable, um, that inflatable dinosaur. Uh, gotta get it. Gotta, uh, you know, you know, glow in the dark, uh, rubber toy slap hand. Gotta have it. Um, I missed the so, tilt. Oh yeah. I missed the tilt too. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ski ball on my lunch break at the mall. Yeah. That was the shit. <laughs> but, um, actually, you know what? I, so I've told the story on the podcast before, but one day I will get that die cast, space shuttle uh that i was saving up my tickets for i was working uh, at the apple store every day i would go to the tilt on my lunch break and play one game of skee-ball and then i would take my tickets and i would store them in my locker and when i when they closed the tilt my locker was stuffed full of tickets and i didn't get my precious space shuttle that i wanted so badly oh man jade i'm yeah. sorry uh listeners if you're out there uh send me a Go win me a toy space shuttle. Uh, <laughs> but so this isn't me talking about dual stick shooters because I just got into the subject of ski ball. But uh, dual stick shooters, I was not playing in the arcades. I was playing the first one I really got into was on PlayStation 3 called Dead Nation. Did you ever play Dead Nation, Reagan? Yep, that's by these developer, Housemark. I didn't know that was them. Holy shit, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, they did a uh, Dead Nation. I think so. They did um, I think Super Stardust first, and yeah, they've done it. I think all of these uh, Alien Nation came. No, I think Dead Nation came before Alien Nation, but they're sort of uh, spiritual sequels to each other. Those are on PS3 and PS4. Um, yeah, but uh, Dead Nation yeah. was okay. It was a pretty good game. Yeah, uh, Julia and I played through that whole thing, and that I think it was one of the very first games. Maybe not that we played together, but it was absolutely one of the first games we beat together, you know, getting all the way through. And 
ever since then, any dual stick shooter that comes out, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll go for it. I, I swear on my, uh, I swear on my, uh, on my honor as a, as a gamer at this point, <laughs> I, now I've got to track down every house marquee game and, uh, see if Julia and I can beat them. Cause we've beaten a significant chunk of the house marquee catalog. Yeah. Uh, at this point. Yeah. They are, they are the twin stick shooter developers, man. That's, that's their thing. And like, um, this is, I think probably their best one, but it depends on what you want out of one of these games. Like if you want an arcade style one, this is clearly their best work in that sort of vibe. Um, yeah. Dead nation is really great. If you want something that has like an upgrade system and like collecting weapons and, you know, feeling that kind of horror game kind of feel. And, and also it has a strong story for a game of this sort, which is not to say that it has a strong story in general, but it has a, it has some story elements to it. So yeah, they've done a lot of, they've done a lot with this genre. Yeah. You know, what's sort of interesting about this is like dead nation. I agree. Shane, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I didn't finish it like you did, but like it, this actually was an attempt to kind of come back for them in a way, because like, um, you know, uh, super stardust HD, uh, was their sort of big console debut. They had developed a bunch of uh, like computer games before that, even things on like uh, DOS and on like um, Amiga and stuff. They've been around a long time. Um, but uh, Super Stardust HD was their big sort of console debut uh, on PS3, and it was huge. Um, and then I think Dead Nation did okay, um, but a lot of their games didn't do super well like i don't think dead nation did great and i know that alien nation uh did not do well and that was their game just before next machina i don't actually know how um how i think Resogun did pretty well but that's i think partly because it was like a it was a ps4 launch game and also i think it was on uh it, uh, playstation plus at one point but anyway I, I think there was a lot of pressure on this particular game to be a kind of a hit for them they kind of downsized you're blowing my mind that they made that they made a video game adaptation of the 1980s like buddy cop alien (laughs) invasion movie the sci-fi noir spectacular that was the alien nation movie and then subsequent television series and i did not know that there was a game i will not hear a a bad word said about alien nation the television show and and movie those were those were excellent properties and i would love a video game based on that maybe a uh maybe an la noir style game uh in that world that would be rad but uh no this is alien nation with no space shane so oh i see pun. uh so, yeah, I think there was some pressure on Next Machina to like, because I don't think Alien Nation did well. That was 2016. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't really know how this game is done for them financially. Um, they certainly, I think, did a good job marketing it, you know, kind of tying themselves to this incredible lineage with uh, Eugene Jarvis and his sort of past work. And by making this game so clearly a love letter to Robotron. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's... Uh, it, this is their shtick, man. This is, they are the twin stick shooter developers and I, I hope they keep doing it. I don't see any reason why they would stop. <laughs> you know, something we didn't talk about that I do want to talk, touch on real quick before we wrap up is just how good the bosses are in this. Um, this game has like 
something that Robotron completely lacked and that I didn't think that like some of their previous games did particularly well is like big boss fights in, in a game like this, you want the bosses to be, you know, hard and cool and you want them to spit out lots of death all at once, but you don't want them to be like completely unsurmountable or like absolutely unfair. The bosses in this are cool. They're huge. They seem like how on earth am I possibly going to kill this? But none of them were like showstoppers for me. You know, they were, they were credit eaters. They were like, you know, quarter takers, but they were not, they were not, you know, walls that I had to beat myself yeah. against. They were not too hard. No, they're, they're, they're most, mostly there to just sort of break your rhythm of, you know, typical, you know, run away and shoot and make you kind of figure out the pattern, uh, you know, some safe way through a, a hail of bullets kind of, kind of had a bullet hell feel mm-hmm. to some of the bosses. Um, but they really made you use that dash mechanic a lot. I mean, yeah, the they really do throughout the whole game, but like the, uh, the the bosses would just fire out these enormous clouds of bullets and you could see, okay, there's a safe spot here. There's a safe spot here. There's a safe spot here. I have to pull off some kind of cool dash move to move through this cloud of bullets safely and continue shooting the whole time really mm-hmm. was like a lot of fun um, and kind of good marker to the end of each world. I, I was, a I was particularly fond of the, the uh, I think volcano boss that was a giant, mechanical gorilla that oh, I yeah. felt like was a real um lo- you know it, it was was very obviously he was throwing flaming fl- fireballs and barrels at you <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> the uh it was it was it's yet a, yet another example of like a love letter to classic arcade games it's really it's really unusual to see a game that is so like feels like an arcade game coming out on consoles in 2017. Like you could install this in a, uh, in a, in an actual uh, cabinet and this would play just like you'd want, you know, you could, you could stick this into any arcade today and it would, it would feel right at home there. Um, And if that sounds appealing to you, this is a game to check out. This game is on steam uh, for $19.99 and it's also on the PlayStation four. It's a console exclusive on the PS4. You know, I'm not quite sure why this is, but, uh, housemark, it seems like all of their games pretty much are console exclusive to the PlayStation platforms. And they're not like an in-house developer. They don't have any kind of like, they're not, uh, owned by, uh, Sony or anything like that. They just seem to really like putting games out on PlayStation. Oh, I'm sure they have some reason that Reagan it's I and it's probably not oh just you know we like Sony well I I don't know it's um they seem to have had a good relationship but it doesn't seem to be like an official like business thing I see although their next game which just came out kind of a weird thing about their 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 studio is that they seem to kind of have two different teams working simultaneously on different games uh this game was by the same team as uh Rezogun uh, but they had another team working on another game simultaneously. And I haven't played that at all yet, but uh, in 2017, they had Nex Machina come out on PS4 and Windows, and also a game called Matterfall that's PS4 exclusive. And that one is, as far as I know, their first game actually produced by Sega, or excuse me, by Sony. Like, Sony paid for the development of that game. And unlike this game, it's a platformer. Uh, I think it's their first platformer. I haven't had a chance to try it out at all yet. And I don't know, the 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 reviews were a little less effusive uh, than they were about 
this game, but I, I really like this developer. So I probably will, uh, go back and check it out. I think I didn't even realize how many of this developer's games I had played. So I think I am a fan at this point of Housemark. Yep. They're pretty great. Um, so yeah, if you want to play this game, it's on the PlayStation four and on steam for $20, uh, in terms of like how long this game takes to play, that really depends on your interest and, and, you know, approach to the game. You can literally play through this entire game in an hour if you really want to, um, uh, particularly if you're playing it on easy, but if you want to master this game, you're probably going to play it again and again. Uh, and that's what I have been doing and intend to continue to do because it's been so much fun. Yeah. There's a really good, uh, if you want to know more about kind of the mechanics of the game, uh, that we maybe didn't get into in incredible detail. There's a really good article on uh, game of Sutra, uh, talking about how the game d- mechanics are all designed to maintain tension, so if you search maintaining tension in next machina, you'll find this article. It's, a, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty good. It's, it's pretty in depth in terms of like what, um, different features were designed to eliminate like downtime for the player and, and how to keep the tension super high. I love that kind of deep dive. Uh, Gamma Sutra does a great job with those. They're really kind of developer focused, but they're really interesting just from a sort of game design, uh, you know, interest, uh, or enthusiast kind of, uh, perspective too. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the short game. I know this is a bit of a shorter episode than normal and, uh, we're, we're down two hosts, but we'll be back with a full complement of co-hosts soon. I guess actually the first person I should thank would be the listener who suggested that we play this game for the show, uh, actually several months ago. So sorry, it took us a little while to get around to it, but thanks very much to, uh, listener Jamie, uh, at matron boy on Twitter and for for letting us know that we should check out this game because it had completely flown under my radar and i was uh really glad we finally got around to actually playing it if you want to let us know uh something that you think we ought to check out for the show uh you can find us on twitter at underscore short game or you can go to www.theshortgame.net where you'll find our contact form that's a great way to drop us a little longer line something longer than 140 or 280 characters Oh, you got that yet? I'm no, the, not yet. I can't. I still am on those old, short, shitty tweets. Yeah, me too, man. But I don't know. I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about long tweets. We'll we'll talk. But uh, if you want to let us know something we should play, get in touch with us there. Uh, you can also. Yeah, I don't find... have. I don't have time to share my opinions on that right now. We're in the limited medium of podcasts. I'll tweet about it later. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll we'll compose our 280 character thoughts about it later. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R A Y G A N K. Uh, Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Eight Bit Shane. And for now, <laughs> and thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Short Game.